It's time to transform your life through knowledge, creativity, and mastery. Delivered on the Focus 7 Daily Podcast with business expert and marketing guru, Lisa Fredrickson, you will hear interviews with some of the most thought-provoking mentors and professionals on a variety of topics. And now, your host and favorite learnaholic, Lisa Fredrickson. Good morning, listeners. Welcome to today's adventure. I'm Lisa Fredrickson, your host and incurable learnaholic. In this episode, we'll be discussing growing up neurodiverse and needing normal with the creative talent, Emmy Grange, award-winning young adult author and neurodiversity advocate. Emmy, could you tell our audience just a little bit about yourself? I'm Emmy Grange. I'm a late diagnosed autistic woman who grew up in an awesome part of the world called the Bay Area of San Francisco um, in California. And I grew up on stories of hope, on tales that tell us we can. Um, I've always been a bit of a rebel, modern misfit, and haven't meant to be. It's just the way I've been and still am. Um, But I never really understood it until I received my diagnosis. I did relate to stories about other nerds and misfits and felt like um, we needed more books like that. So let's talk a little bit about the diagnosis. What what sure. was the, to just in case everybody didn't pick that up when you first said it, what was the diagnosis? Sure. So how that happened is um, one of my best friends has a son on the autism spectrum and he's um, a brilliant, brilliant guy who we put in social therapy and everything from a very young age. His diagnosis was easy to get. And I found an article and I sent it to her. And I'm like, does this sound like anyone you know? And she's like, oh, thank you. I'm so glad you figured it out. I thought you knew this about you a long time ago and were just not telling me. (laughs) Uh, What? So then I went to the University of Utah Center for Autism Uh and was diagnosed and tested. Um, It's a whole process. And um, when I received all the paperwork explaining that my brain works differently, I went through all the normal stages of grief, um, but came out on the other side so relieved to finally have something that made sense. Oh, that's how come that works like that and that works like that and why that doesn't work. Yeah. Got it. And so to be, let's clear it up for our audience as well as that, that diagnosis has been recognized in a different way in now, right? Right. So um, autism is read differently between boys and girls, right? Like, right testosterone changes our biochemistry and how we react to things and how we interpret things. Um, even when you have different brain chemistry to begin with. Mm -hmm. So most of the studies that have been done have been done on males and a woman in the spectrum of neurodiversity is not a unicorn, but is a misrepresented underdiagnosed mermaid. I don't know. Definitely. <laughs> We're different. It's true. But there's a lot more of us than um, would be recognized 
by looking at paperwork data. Right. So just for our audience, what Emmy is talking about is the fact that in the, the field of, and we're going to talk about neurodiversity later because that's what they call it now. Okay. Um, but in the field of neurodiversity, it has been more focused on the, our boys and men than it has on diagnosing females uh, and our challenges. And those challenges represent themselves as uh, differently. And as we go on discussing neurodiversity, then you'll begin to understand probably why we're underdiagnosed. And um, and I say we because I in the list of neurodiversity, I also have some of those challenges myself. So this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Mm. So as as we get into this neurodiversity and what you were challenged, I mean, what you experienced, uh, go ahead and go on with the story about. Um, finding out and going through grief and things like that, that I interrupted, but I wanted to make sure that, that our audience was clear on a few things. So. No worries. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. So I was actually in my forties when I received my diagnosis wow. and I had been misdiagnosed as all kinds of things that are co-concurring conditions, some of which would not have happened had I had early intervention because I have a different brain type. Right. Um, so it's really important to recognize, yes, I still struggle with some things like anxiety. I still struggle with um, different patterns that are common to women on this on the spectrum. And some of them wouldn't be so bad had I been able to use more tools sooner. Um, and part of the grief process, yeah, the anger um, that I didn't have all these tools to begin with, because I have a master's in psychology. Like I've, I've worked hard for a long time on understanding the brain and people and how things work. Um, excuse me. And I would have loved to have had tools that fit me. Um, and yeah, the way because in, in yeah. The, this particular case, early diagnosis helps a lot, doesn't it? It helps a lot. And part of what it helps a lot with is the relief from masking. Um, this is a soapbox moment for me, I guess, but I really feel strongly. I love family. I love traditional values. I love the way I've been raised. And there are things that would have been easier to not have to do. For instance, look people in the eyes all the time. Um, make sure that you reach out and shake someone's hand. Well, what if I don't want to touch someone? Um, when I have emotional outbursts, instead of being corrected for them, being allowed to remove myself and soothe myself would have been awesome. Um, and those things, those were not tools that I were I was given. I was given a more traditional way of, you know, shape right. up, ship out, figure it out. That's not how girls behave, that kind of thing. Uh -huh. um, girls don't feel anger. That. Blah. Anyways, yeah. so <laughs> yeah. so basically, the let's go into the definition of neurodiversity because I think that'll help them understand what you're saying here. Um, sure. Neurodiversity describes the idea that people experience and interact with the world around them in many different ways. In other words, we don't all um, process that everything, touch, uh, sensory. 
uh, information, emotions, etc. We don't process them the same way. That doesn't make us wrong. Um, And there's no one right way of thinking, learning, or behaving. But differences are, um, in our particular case, because nobody understood, were viewed as deficits. And so that's kind of where the the neurodiverse child starts to feel like a misfit. Would you, does that resonate with what you're trying to Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I didn't understand that it's biochemical, that it's a wiring in my brain, that it's not just a choice to act in a different way or be a rebellious child or harder on my parents or whatever. It's a difference in how I process. And had we known that, I would have given myself more grace. My parents would have given themselves more grace and therefore me more grace, you know? And my Mm -hmm. parents are awesome. They are not abusive. Don't get me wrong. Everything's good. It's that the more knowledge you have, the better choices you can make. Right. And, and would you say that on both sides, we, we learn to kind of meet in the middle? Is that kind of what? No, I wouldn't no. actually. I okay. think that um, the world is not built for neurodiversity. The world is built for one way of being. And um, it's up to me to navigate the world the way it is built. So and. So in the yeah. world right now, because we don't understand this as well, or we don't even see it really. I mean, I think we're it, just we kind of blind. Right. Yeah. What you're saying is instead of meeting across the bridge, the neurodiverse child is is told to go all the way across the bridge over to right. the norm. Right. But but we're told to go across the bridge and not given the tools. Right. The difference the diagnosis makes, in my perspective, is that you then are started to um, be aware of the tools, be aware of the choices, be aware of things you can do to navigate a world that is not built for you. And I am not saying that the world isn't awesome. I'm saying that I need to make choices that other people don't have to make. But right. if I don't have the information, I can't do it. Well, and, and you bring up a very good point. The normal way <laughs> isn't yeah. bad. It's just the way society has formed and, and they think in certain ways. And we think and process things in a different way. Um, and it makes it very difficult to um, function as a, as a neural device, neuro, excuse me, neurodiverse yeah. child. And I'm so, not asking adult. them to all learn my language. I no. get that I'm in an you know, in a certain place, and I'm asked to speak their language. What I'm asking for is more grace and time when my language skills aren't good enough. Yeah. Yeah. To process. So uh, I'll give our audience one uh, actual example. And that was the, when I was a receptionist, so I'm, I have audio dyslexia, which actually wasn't even a diagnosis until just recently. (laughs) I kept telling everybody I have audio dyslexia and they're like, that doesn't exist. And I'm like, no, it does. But anyway, um, but when I was a receptionist and answering phone calls, one of the very difficult things for me to do was to listen to tasks and to have more than three of them. So if the person on the phone was telling me, uh, I want you to tell the doctor this, and I want you to do this, and I want you to do this. By the time I got to the third one, I was like, I'd lost what the other two were. <laughs> right. Yep. And the and the other thing was that when they gave me a phone number, 
I could write down that phone number and it was exactly in the wrong order. <laughs> yes. And, but it had every single number they told me. It just was all jumbled up. Right. And, and so I learned, and I don't know why I picked up on this on myself, but I learned to talk to people and say, and this is the grace I think you're talking about, is that I would say to them, listen, I have audio dyslexia. And of course, they didn't know what the right what that was. But they, <laughs> but, right, they, right. but they would go, oh, I'm sorry, dear. And I'd say, so here's my problem. When I get a phone number, I... I have to have it read to me slowly. And if you could give me what you want me to do in twos, then I'll write them down and you just pause between that. And then I'll make sure that I get everything perfect for you. Oh, okay, honey. I never had anybody who didn't give me grace, who got upset or anything like that. Exactly. They were all very happy about it. And, and they would take, like, they would get extra patient with me because I told them. So right. what, is that an example of the tools that you're talking about? It's a brilliant example. Okay. That's exactly what I'm talking about. It's knowing it's um, it's being allowed to know yourself and what works for you enough that you can explain it uh-huh. so that people can then meet you and give you what you need so that you can then fully participate because they're going to love you. Hello. Yeah. Well, they did. And the funny thing is, is I was actually a little slower. They had to be on hold a little longer. But as they got to know me in that practice, um, people were just beautiful about being relating to me. And I had good relationships with the customers. So, I mean, being neurodiverse doesn't mean you can't function and, and be in places. It just means that we have to process things a little differently. And we need, like you said, that I love what you said about that. I just love the fact that you're like, we need a little grace from the, from everybody to understand our uh, working with different tools. Now, um, so Emmy Grange is also an author. And one of the things that I love about her is is the books that she's developed, which kind of gives us a window into this person. So can you tell us a little bit about how that started? You, I mean, I know you mentioned it sure. at the very first about writing and getting those stories down, but um, tell us so, tell us your heart about this. Yeah, I, I've always been, I love books. I love movies. Um, I grew up watching The Breakfast Club, for instance. And that and, was cool. Um, I really relate to Revenge of the Nerds. You know, not fitting in is something I relate to. And um, my dad would say, write the books. And I'd be like, I can't do that. That would make me even weirder, stranger. Can't do that. No. (laughs) So it took me a long time to write the books. But I found um, I was a single mom from the time my son was two and he's 26. So for 24 years, I really watched that he didn't have stories like I did growing up that inspired hope and understanding and compassion for um, different types of people. And not just, you know, not just diversity in color, but diversity in culture, diversity in brain type, diversity in all the ways that make us unique so that we can come together. And so I decided um, (laughs) I was on a vacation and I was having a hard time communicating. And I just started verbal vomiting on the page, uh, telling a story because it was the easiest way for me to explain something without lecturing. 
And it was really important to me that somebody could see inside my brain, could see a different perspective. So I wrote the first draft of the first book. And the book, first book has won four awards. It's very different from that first draft, but it still has the same heart. And um, it's a book with a point of view character who is an autistic girl in high school who doesn't know that she's autistic. And um, her getting along with her core five, learning how to interact with different people and accept herself and be accepted. So the book that Emmy Grange is talking about is on Amazon and it's called Needing Normal um, Freshman Year. And this is Jet Harper book series. And Jet Harper is the, the main character in this She's book, correct? Main, yes. Yes. And um, I really, you know, it's a heart book for me. I feel very attached to it because I understand all the characters um, and it's not me, but the feelings are me. Um, right. That is not my mom, but the repercussions of thinking your daughter's totally normal and just a rebel, pretty much the same as when you think <laughs> your daughter's weird, you know? Yeah. So, well, and I yeah. do, I remember my mom's a wonderful mom, but I do remember her saying, I don't understand you. And, and right. I don't know that I had all of the difficulties that you had because I didn't have anxiety, but I had a lot of the dyslexia and um, processing uh, challenges. I, so, well, and Jet doesn't have anxiety. Um, that's just me personally. Right, that's <laughs> but, you personally. But the characters, you know, um, it's very much a, a breakfast club setup, right? There's mm -hmm. someone who's really good um, in lots of different aspects and from different cultures and they all have different talents. And, um, yeah, book one, like I said, it's won four awards. People like it. Um, book two's gotten great, better reviews than book one. Um, and it's a look inside a different brain type. The thing that um, the biggest, I don't know, the biggest change in my life that's happened from writing the books is um, my family now sees me differently. They now understand what it is I couldn't say because I didn't have the words. Um, well, and so I, we have a voice with each other. So that's so excellent because it's what it is is people are willing to be merciful and graceful. They just don't know. And so this right. book to our audience and, and anybody who listens to this podcast, uh, especially even teachers in, in the industry and, and things like that, this is a great book to explore um, with classmates and, and explore the feelings. It's great. Uh, I would say lesson material for opening up some of those understandings that we need to have in our life. Uh, I know that in the past there was uh, negative stigma about autisms and other different uh, spectrum sure. problems. Now that we're beginning to understand, uh, one of the things is, is that children with autism often are very highly intelligent and processing information differently um, and can sometimes even get bored because they're kind of off in this little room processing everything and the teachers don't understand. You know, one of the things that I used to do to help myself concentrate is I would draw in class and I'll be darned if every teacher would come over and say, you can't draw because you can't pay attention 
and draw. And I tell them, it's like, I can't pay attention if I don't draw and listen. And none of them believed me. So they take that paper away. And then guess what followed? I got in trouble because I was talking to somebody because I couldn't keep myself on attention in the class. And so I'd get all these different reports. Did I lose? Anyway, inevitably, I would get in trouble for uh, talking and doing something that was disruptive. In fact, my deportment uh, cards always said talks too much. Um, And my parents would say to me, uh, Lisa, you need to get to where you're not talking in class. This is disruptive. And and I say, but I can't concentrate. (laughs) I literally knew it was I couldn't concentrate. So one of the reasons I'm a proponent for early diagnosis is that when you recognize there are different ways of processing, you allow different ways of receiving information. For instance, in the classroom, I know that my friend's son had his laptop when he was a little dude. You know, he was able to use um, his iPad later on um, and it was so helpful for him. And it would have been helpful for another child I know to draw. So again, that kind of thing happens when you um, when you recognize that there are different ways of learning. Yeah. And I think it would have been really nice to have that because it would have made a big difference uh, in how I could process some of the schoolwork and stuff like that. I had to teach myself all kinds of workarounds. <laughs> Well, and that's, so the beauty of the late diagnosis for me is that I know that I can get stuff done. I know that I can find a workaround. Mm -hmm. I know that if I'm dedicated to it, I'm going to work harder, but I'm going to get it done and it's going to turn out pretty dang good. Um, So so it, you know, but that, that can also be a benefit to someone who has all the tools. They just are more efficient. What what would you say to parents who are dealing with a child that's difficult? How would they go about maybe finding out if they are different, you know, dealing with somebody who's neurodiverse and help themselves maybe communicate with their kids better? I think, um, yeah, I think from my perspective, I've always been expected to speak a foreign language. You know, I there are unwritten rules to social norms and to body language, et cetera. And I've had to figure them out. I would have loved had my parents understood. And it wasn't a thing at that time. So I totally understand they didn't. But now I would love a parent to um, recognize if it's a maybe, it's worth checking out. It, because... Um, it's not linear. It's in the spectrum of the spectrum. Ha, ha, ha. Mm-hmm. Um, neurodiversity <laughs> comes in many flavors and many shapes and many styles and many things that are super functional and super not functional. And all of that is different in the different textures of being mm-hmm. neurodiverse. And so working with a specialist who knows what they're talking about and figuring that out would allow you to speak your child's native language and that improves communication, right? Right. Um, it's like when I was raising my son, um, we'll, go, we'll use the five love languages because this is something that makes sense to me. 
there are different ways that we express love natively mm-hmm. and he needs words of affirmation. But when I tested on that test, I got a 0.5. Like words of affirmation are not native to me to do, to show love. Right. Knowing that's what he needs to feel loved, to receive what I'm trying to convey to him instead of a punch in the arm mm-hmm. um, means that it's my responsibility since I want to get my message across to say it in a way he can understand. So I have worked on words of affirmation because he's important to me and I want him to understand what I'm trying to convey. Right. Um, So if I'm hearing you right, what you're saying is when you were working with your son was that he needed affirmations and that was something that was not a language that was natural to you. Right. And so even though we don't, even though you didn't speak that, um, you had to find a way to construct it so that you could give that to him so that the communication between the two of you would be uh, something good, right? Right. And I find neurodiversity is the same, right? Mm-hmm. So most parents who aren't neurodiverse or have a different strength and a different weakness to work with in their diversity, when they learn their child's they're then able to access tools themselves to express in a way their child can hear the message or receive the message. Right. And that's because we both, we all communicate love in different manners. And this is just one way of understanding that. That, yeah. And that's another way of understanding neurodiversity to me is not necessarily even the love languages. It's um, for instance, understanding executive dysfunction in your child. Um, then you know you need a little more time in the morning and you need to set alarms and you might need to give them a little boost to be able to get things done. And um, if you know they have an executive dysfunction, then you can start to manage it differently instead of losing your cool because they're not ready in 10 minutes like their sibling. And for those of us that don't speak those ling- that uh, definition, what is an executive? So an executive dysfunction, um, the example I'm thinking of is in the morning, a child that um, doesn't stay on task with getting their teeth brushed and their hair combed and um, showered and ready to go in the um, linear fashion that you're expecting yeah. and may need more reminders or time deadlines or s- some way to keep them on track to be able to make the goal, which is leave the house on time, right? Right. Um, but if you don't, have those um, tools in place, then every morning can be a really big downer, like a fight just to try and get out the door when it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. When it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. You know, um, I noticed that one of my grandchildren kind of, and I'm not saying she's neurodiverse, but I mean, she, she processed cleaning up her room differently. And I noticed that when, so when I was young, one of the things that was very difficult for me was to get my room clean because it meant doing things all in a row like you were talking about. <laughs> right, right. And, and so um, my I would constantly be in trouble for not getting that done. So my granddaughter called me up one time and she says, listen, I need to get my room done. And we had done my little trick here at the house when she was staying with me. And she says, what was that trick? And I said, okay. I said, like a bulldozer, you push everything into the middle of the room. Because for me, it was that I was overwhelmed. 
and, and yeah. task sequencing. Mm-hmm. And so I pushed everything into the middle of the room. And then I said, now you pull out all of the Barbie dolls and from that pile. So she would pull out and we stayed on the phone until we got through that whole process. And she got it. through cleaning up the room in like 10, 15 minutes because it was a process she could relate to. And um, so does that, is that where you're talking That's- about? this linear processing. Okay. Right. Right. So that's, and those kind of tools are available to everyone, but you don't think creatively outside the box like that. If you don't know, you need to. Right. Well, I, I would love to talk about this more, but I know that our listeners have to get on uh, with other things during the day. But um, if you have a chance, pick up Emmy Grange's book, Uh, on Amazon. And can you give them the title of it one more time? Sure. Book one is Needing Normal and book two is Seeking Safety. Um, Book one really deals with, yes, it's a great view because it's a view inside the head of someone who's neurodiverse, but it really deals with the definitions of normal and typical. Mm -hmm. Um, And then book two is about safety issues facing 15-year-olds. So, all right. Well, thank you everyone for lending your day and um, go out and find out some new information about this and and learn about neurodiversity. It's a wonderful way of of helping others feel uh, or to bridge the the gaps between, and I'll call it love languages for lack of better definition. Well, folks, it's that time in the show when we count our blessings for being together And thank the Lord for providing us with talent that enlightens the mind, inspires the soul. Till next time, remember that life is an adventure, teeming with majestic mountains of experience waiting to be explored, and rivers flowing with wisdom beckoning us to drink deeply from their cool waters. Thank you for sharing in our adventure. Stay safe, God bless, and have a wonderful day.